Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Welcome back to The Scent Life. Uh, We're so glad that you've joined us yet again. Again, I'm Greg Mathias, along with my co-host, Scott Hildreth. And today we continue an ongoing conversation that we've entitled People's Next Door, Gospel Opportunity in Our Own Backyards, in Our Own Communities. And we're having back, as we do, uh, Keelan Cook. And so, Keelan, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Glad you are here. Live from Zoom from Houston, Texas. That's it. That's it. It's always a pleasure, gentlemen. So catch us up. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, you were just coming off the afterglow of uh, being a dad again. Uh, to your uh, new baby son, but also uh, Houston was in the midst of a thaw out. How are you guys doing? Yeah, well, Houston is not cold anymore. Uh, we've we've already warmed back up, uh, and I assume it's gonna gonna stay that way for a while, probably. And we're learning what it means to have two kids now instead of one, uh, and that's right. probably gonna take a little while. But Very we're cool. loving it. It's it's a, a good gift from the Lord. We're having a good time with it. Well, congratulations. We're proud for both of you guys. For those of you who are new to the Scent Life, Keelan uh, lives in Houston. So this is, uh, this is a conversation over the airways. Keelan is one of our uh, faculty members at Southeastern. He also is a staff member at our Center for Great Commission Studies. And he really keeps us focused on uh, diaspora missiology, reaching peoples who are from somewhere else but live in the United States. And Keelan, today, we want to spend some time talking about a specific type of ministry that you have found. On the one hand, it can be very effective. On the other hand, there are a whole lot of people doing this ministry, but perhaps aren't taking advantage of some of the missional opportunities that exist. And that ministry we're talking about is an ESL or English as a second language ministry. Talk to us a minute real quick for those who have little to no experience with ESL in the church. What what does that look like and how does it work? And then we'll talk about some of the opportunities and then some ways that can be missional, maybe some ways that churches are missing this missional opportunity uh, in their own ESL ministry. So uh, help us help us understand the conversation. Walk us into this thing, man. Sure thing. So uh, as we've talked before, diaspora, uh, we've got all these people group communities around us now. We're, we have an increasing number of people here that don't know English. Uh, in our cities around us. Mm-hmm. And these people often are coming from places where they've not had access to the gospel. Uh, they're coming from a different religious or worldview background. How do we as a church engage them well? There's a bunch of different strategies, but one that's very frequently employed is the idea of a church uh, providing ESL or English as a second language courses uh, for those in their community that need those. Uh, it's, it's been a thing for a long time. Church has been involved in doing this uh, for many years, in fact. Uh, and so it's a fairly widely used uh, strategy to mm-hmm. provide a, a needed service to the community. Um, in most instances, uh, the way that this looks is churches will advertise to their community if you need English as a second language, and they may have a predominant uh, group like Spanish speakers or Chinese speakers or something like that. So they'll have flyers up in those languages saying, hey, if you need to learn English, uh, you can contact us at this number. And They've got some process of courses that they'll run the people through, and this gives them access, of course, to these groups. Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the basis of what ESL is. 
From there, though, I do think, Scott, as you were saying, there's a way to really maximize our benefit for great commission ministry that comes out of providing this kind of service to the community. So let's look back real quick for churches who are uh, not doing anything with uh, English as a second language uh, ministry. Uh, is this something you would recommend uh, to them to consider starting? And if so, how do you start one of these things? I mean, we, we all, if you grew up in the United States, you grew up with English, right? I'm not even sure uh, most of us you know, did super well in English in school and does it require an English degree? And so how do we get one of these things started in our church? And then we'll talk about, let's make the most of it once we get the, get the thing started. Yeah. So great question. First steps, how's the church really get engaged in something like this? Um, so there's a whole spectrum when it comes to ESL coursework that we need to keep in mind. Uh, you'll see some of these things you can as a church research, and there's a number of uh, organizations out there that have got a particular curriculum that's like accredited, and you can get a certificate, or people can wind up with a degree in it. So there's this real high threshold on one side. Um, that takes a lot to get into. Sure. However, it, like I said, it's a spectrum. There's also an, an entry level, and that's the one that I would really encourage most churches to consider doing. Uh, this is one of those things where kind of less is more in a lot of instances, because in most groups, when they're trying to trying to gain English proficiency, they really just want to be able to function well uh, where they find themselves in their new home and in their new context. Uh, you go into a, a, an insurance place to get insurance, or you go to the doctor, or you go anywhere you got to fill out a form. Most of the time they're in English, right? Uh, street signs, they're in English. Uh, right. The menu at the restaurant, it's in English. And so proficiency at a, a functional literacy level is really what we're after here for, for most people. Well, now that's something that with the right training, a uh, fairly minimal level of training, most anybody in a church could provide that. In that way, we're talking about conversational English mm -hmm. courses. We're not talking about getting somebody a certificate. Uh, those are great if a church really leans into this and wants to provide something that robust. But on the front end, it's easy to walk into the idea of just sitting down with non-English speakers. And if you've got some basic training and how to do it, you can start helping them work their way toward functional literacy and functional language use here in the States. Right. And my guess is there's a tremendous felt need and maybe even more than a felt need or very real need uh, that newcomers in our communities feel to get some level of English. So all three of us have lived overseas in different countries and know what it's like to have to go to the grocery store and not know how to, how to get what you want, can't figure out the difference between goat and beef and pork or buttermilk versus other milk or yogurt versus uh, cottage cheese. I mean, there's all these things that you just don't know how to do. You can't pay your bills. So I mean, there's got to be a tremendous felt. People want to learn English mm -hmm. and the opportunity to minister and give some of this basic life skill that just is good for survival has to be tremendous. Absolutely, it is. Uh, and again, immigrants themselves come in on a whole spectrum here. You've got some that are coming in with a whole lot of means. You've got sure. some that are coming in very, very well educated. Uh, and then you've got some that are coming in who are refugees. Uh, they're asylees. They're, uh, they're coming in maybe as an economic refugee. And so they're coming from some of the poorest areas in the world. Um, their educational background is probably not going to be as, as significant. Uh, and so you've got a whole spectrum here. Oftentimes, those with the highest felt need for this are coming from areas where they've, 
they've got other needs as well. They're often coming in as you know, disenfranchised or they're coming in as uh, people that are here, like I said, for economic reasons or something to that effect. And so being able to offer that kind of service to them free of charge is a real, it's a real value add for them. And you're absolutely right. One of the first things a newcomer to an area where they don't speak the language, one of the first things they feel is key to their success is being able to understand everything going on around them. Mm -hmm. And that comes with language proficiency. That's mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Now that's really helpful, Keelan. I think uh, so clearly this is a, a great opportunity, uh, a good ministry perhaps, uh, even for uh, those listening that maybe they're in an area or at a church that maybe they've talked about this. Uh, maybe they don't have something. It might be easy to start conversations, but I think it's important too, that as we have people coming in from other cultures and other places that it really does do a lot to uh, befriend them even beyond the language, but it gives them some really key skills. So, so Keelan, help us. I, I know that you've talked some about uh, kind of the, uh, maybe what you've seen as healthy ways to go about uh, ESL and perhaps some missed opportunities. And I know part of that is uh, you've kind of categorized kind of two overarching philosophies or frameworks as we think through ESL ministry. And so uh, help us out. What are these two different kind of philosophies uh, that you've kind of seen in uh, ESL ministry? Yeah. So missed opportunity, I think is the right word. So it's, it's a great value when a church provides a service like this to people that need it. However, there might be some opportunities that we could capitalize on. So first and foremost, for the, you know, a church is uh, called by God to make disciples of all nations. Uh, that necessarily requires great commission ministry. It necessarily requires uh, gospel proclamation and then trying to make disciples of those that we're sharing the gospel with. Right. And so just stopping at teaching somebody really good English, uh, I think misses an opportunity that we have to be able to engage these people in a way that presents the gospel to them clearly, hopefully through this, this process of, of teaching English. Uh, and then calls the question for them about whether or not they would accept the gift that Christ has given um, and then walks them through disciple making process. Right. So I want to see churches press past just providing English to doing it in such a way that it provides the gospel as well. Okay. And, uh, and I think I think there's uh, some ways that make that easier than others. Uh, so the two models or methods, Greg, that you just referenced, uh, I tend to refer to them as either a come and see mm -hmm. approach to ESL ministry or a go and tell approach to ESL ministry. So most churches would employ what I would refer to as a come and see approach to, to ESL ministry. Come and see approach. Here's what we typically have. We're going to hang flyers everywhere. We're going to invite people mm -hmm. to an event at our church once, twice, three times a week, something to that effect. Uh, and then anybody who wants to, they're welcome to come to our ESL course and see what we're doing at our church. Uh, now, that's there's benefits to doing it that way, of course. Uh, you, you already have your own facilities. Logistically, it's probably a little easier to pull it off that way. Uh, and it gets people inside the doors of your church. That's not, not ever a bad thing, hopefully. Um, if they feel welcome while they're in there, it's not a bad thing. Sure, yeah. um, so there's some benefits to doing it that way. However, I think there's some missed opportunity when we, when we do it that way as well. You see, a go-and-tell approach really flips this idea on its head. And for those of us who are used to just kind of the way we do things here in America, uh, this is going to feel a little weird. But a go-and-tell approach says, instead of us inviting everybody to come to some meeting that we're going to hold in one of our church, like one of the rooms in our church, 
let's try to get to know some of the refugees or some of the foreign-born folks here that need English proficiency in such a way that we can ask them if they would let us host one in their home or their apartment complex. Wow. Um, turns it on its head, and there's some pretty significant reasons for doing that uh, along the way. So before we dig in deeper, I, I want to go deeper into this. This is fascinating to me, this go and tell and asking them to host. But uh, there's nothing wrong per se, uh, I don't think at all times and all places, with the come and see approach. Maybe no. it's an older church uh, looking to finally reach out to the community, and they have the facilities. So I think there could be some benefit, and that, that might be a great place to start uh, for some yeah, Absolutely. Folks. Uh, so what I don't want to do when we talk about a come and see versus a go and tell approach, I don't want to say that a come and see is always bad yeah. and a go and tell is always good. So if you're doing a come and see, you're doing it poorly. That's not what I'm saying. I know some churches that have done that very effectively. Uh, and oftentimes it's the best way to start for a church is to start with a come and see and then start trying to figure out if they can transition to a go and tell approach. So you've been listening to the Scent Life podcast. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, continue to listen. Uh, let us know what you think about it and pass that along to others. Uh, but we also want to use this as an opportunity to let you know that you can be equipped. Uh, here at Southeastern, you can go to www.sebts.edu. Uh, one of our great vocational degrees is the Master of Arts in Church Planting. It is designed to fit with some of the things we talk about here in the Scent Life. You keep living in your community, you keep engaging in ministry, but you also get theologically trained and equipped to go deeper and to have a longer, more vital ministry. Uh, go to our website, www.sebts.edu, and look for the Master of Arts in Church Planting uh, or perhaps another degree. Again, thank you for listening to The Scent Life. Keelan, thanks a ton for being here. For those of you that are just, just tuning in, we're talking with Keelan Cook in Houston, Texas, and we've been talking about English as a second language ministry. Quite frankly, from Alabama, when I hear ESL, I think of English as a southern language, Keelan. And uh, from the uh, from the tone of the conversation, you in Texas and me in Alabama and Greg being a Virginia boy, it seems like all of us probably learned it that way, right? Yeah, well, and growing up where I grew up, English was somewhat of a second language for us. I spoke hillbilly. It's my first language. That's right. We learned another form of English and then had to polish it up. Before we, before we took the break, we were uh, talking about different models or philosophies of ESL uh, in a church. We had the come and see model, which is the traditional model where people come to our church. We invite them in. And we thought that was a great way to get started. But you have an idea that maybe we can take our ESL ministries to a new level. You call that the go and tell model. So flesh that out for us, Keelan. Yeah, so come and see. People are coming to the church for, for an event. Go and tell turns that idea on its head. So instead of us saying, hey, why don't you all come to our facilities and we'll host you through a class? What go and tell says is we're going to try to get to know some of the people, maybe in an apartment complex that's got a high concentration of refugees or, or a particular person that we meet, somebody in our church might know them through work. However we find them, uh, we're going to engage 
a particular group that needs English proficiency on our area. And then as we get to know them, we'll ask them, would it be okay for us to host in your home mm -hmm. our English class uh, instead of doing something in the building? Now, wow. why in the world would we do it that way? Now, there's several significant benefits to this one that I think are kind of hard for us to grasp at first with the way we do things. Uh, but as you look at it, you can see that these benefits are very real if our end goal is making disciples and raising people up, maybe even planting a church among this group in that language. Uh, this provides a framework that makes it just naturally turn into that if, if we want it to head in that direction. Mm -hmm. So what are the benefits? Well, first, uh, participants can invite all of their friends who would benefit from the class to an event that they will be hosting. Mm -hmm. See, in a come and see approach, it's kind of an all call. We wind up with in the room whoever found our flyer and could actually get themselves to your meeting, by the way, right? That's often a thing. Uh, it's difficult for some refugees or people of that nature to actually make it to your church for the event anyways. And so if they can't come, they'll just never be a part of it. Uh, but doing it this way, we go to them instead of having them come to us. And so more people are likely to be able to participate that wouldn't be able to otherwise. But in addition to that, that room isn't full of strangers. Mm -hmm. That room is probably full of people that already know each other. Uh, when it comes to the disciple-making component of this, and even their ability to learn English together and hold each other accountable to what they're learning and work on things when you're not there, it heightens all of that. So it ratchets up the ability to both teach English and the ability to try to turn this into an opportunity for making disciples. Because now we have a room full of people that already know each other and they're already friends with one another. Another thing, and this is a little harder for us to grasp, I think, just because of a cultural gap here. Uh, one thing we may be doing for a lot of cultural groups that work in more of an honor-shame paradigm is giving that family uh, the honor of hosting an event that people in their community would care about. Wow. So for us, we often think you're, you're asking me to do something. And so I, I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to burden them with something is the way that we would often see that. Right. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes when it comes to something we talked earlier uh, in the episode, we talked about how high a value, a felt need this has. Well, if you can give to somebody, a family that is part of a tight-knit community uh, of other people that are, you know, speak their language, if you can give them the gift of saying to their community, I have an opportunity for us all to learn English together, mm -hmm. uh, then you've actually given them an honor among their group in a lot of instances. And so instead of them seeing it as a burden, they, they may see it as an, an opportunity. Uh, in many cultures, that's that's a gift that you've given them, not, not something else. Uh, so I think that's, you go ahead. That's fascinating because you think about the fact that for many of us who live in individualistic cultures, mm -hmm. we would view the request to do something at our house as an imposition, right? So I would be, I would be hesitant to come to you and say, hey, Keelan, let me throw a party at your house once a week because I would think, man, I'm going to put him out. But what you're saying is there's so many groups of people yeah. because they're more collectivist or group oriented, they offering them the opportunity to provide a a benefit is actually doing them a favor. It's honoring this group, this, this family. Absolutely. Uh, it's count, so counterintuitive for us. Yep. Uh, I'll often have people that'll talk to me about starting to engage some of these groups that are just from a completely different cultural background than us. Uh, and they'll say, you know, I've invited them over to my home two or three times for dinner and they'll always say yes. And then last minute they come up with a reason why they can't come. And I'll tell them, this is going to sound crazy, 
but invite yourself to their house for dinner and see how that goes. And in most instances, they come back and tell me first time they took me up on it and they were ecstatic that I'd come over and have their food instead of them having to come into my space. Because what we're doing in that moment is we're saying, we'll be the foreigner. We'll come into your cultural space and do things the way you do it. Hmm. Instead of saying to them, you're going to have to come out of your culture and come eat food that we'd eat and do it in, in a space that's comfortable for us and do it in our norms and culture. Uh, and it's just fascinating how flipping that on its head oftentimes opens things up. Yep. Yeah. Cross-cultural ministry, oftentimes uh, the best way to practice hospitality is to be the guest. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's a great way to put it, Greg. Understand that. Um, and this gives you the opportunity to do that if you make it a go and tell ESL approach. When we talk about benefits, it gives us that opportunity to, to create this space that's made up of people that are most likely all from the same culture, same language group. They already know each other. If So if you're at home playing the home game right now, and we've been talking about discovery Bible studies that might lead to church plants, if our end game here is creating something that becomes a disciple-making hub, eventually maybe its own like house church or something, mm. you'll see that this starts leading us toward that. Um, mm. Because these people, like if we, we may be teaching them English, but they all have a different primary language and they all have a different primary culture and worldview. And so by getting this group together in this way, as we teach English, if we also teach the gospel with the way we use our curriculum, mm. then we're also confronting their worldview with the gospel. And if they as a group start to accept the truths of the gospel, you're well on your way to having a, a discovery Bible study here that could potentially turn into a discipleship group and maybe even a small church that they then feel the need to reach the rest of the people in their language group in the area. Hmm. So that sounds great. Uh, fantastic. If it all always works that way. So my question I, is, in all of this, have you seen examples of uh, or, or places where people have found uh, maybe folks from other backgrounds or potential participants that would say, yes, I'm willing to not just host you for like a meal, but actually host an ESL class. Have you found that to be the case? Yes. In fact, I have. Um, so I know of a handful of churches that, that do this kind of approach and uh, I've been very impressed when I've, when I've seen churches turn that corner at the, the benefit that they find in doing it that way. Uh, I, one church in particular that I, I know of does this in the Dallas area. That church, they uh, have had an ESL ministry for years, uh, decades even. And uh, at some point, they decided to turn a corner on this one and say, well, why don't we start trying to use this as a way to host in homes? And so they started with participants in their come and see who, who were becoming particularly proficient and were really engaged in what they were doing and their stuff on campus. And they, they used them as their initial host homes. Huh. And so it gave them a way to transition. And they said to some of these folks that had been coming to that, hey, would you mind us doing one of these in your home for all your friends? Wow. And that became their way to transition it. And that church wound up starting a number of discipleship groups wow. uh, among two or three different language groups by turning that corner. That's cool. You just got to have this vision for discipleship, <laughs> discovery, Bible study, church planting, take this ministry uh, and then make it move in that direction. So you're serving this felt need. You're also serving a missional need. So Keelan, let's, let's say we have folks listening, pastors, um, uh, folks in their church who really want to uh, want to get started with a 
uh, a, a go and tell version of ESL. If that's the case, do I just need to it, want to start ESL? Do I need to wait until I have a host place to go mm-hmm. in order to start the, the ESL class? Do I start the ESL class and then wait for one of the members to say, hey, come to my house? How do I make this thing? And what, what, do, you, what do you suggest as we move forward with that? Sure. So I tend to tell churches when they ask that question, well, there's a bunch of different ways to skin this cat. Uh, the easiest logistically is to set up a come and see first. That's the easiest logistically. If you were a church that has a facility, and even if you're a church that meets, like rents a storefront, like, use one of your homes uh, in the beginning as a, as a way to pull something together if you have to. So that, that's the easiest way to start. Long term, it may be hard to turn a corner later, though. So know that the easiest way may not be the best way to start sometimes. Uh, But there's a bunch of different ways to find people that might be good at this. So ask people in your church is one thing that I often tell uh, folk. You may have somebody in your church that already has some relationships, either through work or some other social circle. They're they're, uh, a room mother at their elementary school with some family over here. And there may just be a connection that you don't know you have in your church yet. It's amazing when you ask your folk in your congregation, how many of you actually have a close relationship at some point with somebody who doesn't speak English well and would like to? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you may have initial connections already that you just don't know you have. Uh, And another thing that I'll often tell people to do is door knocking. And Mm -hmm. that sounds crazy because we we shy away from that whole idea now. Uh, But if you've got, uh, this is particularly good for places where like refugee resettlement is a thing that happens in your area. You'll often find like an apartment complex and that apartment apartment complex is kind of a resettlement hub. So you'll know that a large concentration of people in there are foreign born. Uh, If you've got some places like that, that you can isolate, like send a group of people from your church to go door knocking there, welcome them, go in authentically welcoming um, and just try to strike up a relationship with some of those people, see if there's any way you can meet some of their needs and ask them if they'd have interest in uh, potentially doing some English classes, you could bring it to them. Uh, You guys wouldn't even have to come to our church building. We'd be happy to come here to your apartment complex and set up and anybody in your apartment complex would be invited to participate in this as well. Uh, So there's a bunch of different ways to skin the cat as far as getting the thing going. The one thing I do want to caution the church against, because we often think about how do I find my first like participant. Right. Really what I want you to do though is say, how do we make sure our folk are trained to do this well? Okay. I mean, that's really your first step here. Mm-hmm. And when I say trained to do it well, there's two axes here that we've got to consider if we're going to do this well. One, we actually want to teach people English. Yeah. yeah uh, there is a unfortunate bait and switch that can occur here. If you tell people you're teaching them English and all you're doing is inviting them to a Bible study. Don't do that. That's not right. That's not integrity. So we want to make sure we're doing this in a way that uses a curriculum that will, in fact, help them learn English. Uh, But the other piece here is we don't just want to teach them English. So we need people who are trained at more than being an English teacher. Right. We need people who are thinking with a missionary mindset here. We need people who are thinking as a disciple maker. How Mm. can I use this as an opportunity to, to proclaim the gospel and hopefully make some disciples that can then proclaim the gospel to others in their language group here in the area. Mm-hmm. So how do we train people to do that well? And then when you've got that, figure out how you're going to find your participants. So with that, again, and I appreciate that, I want to put a, a point on that, that the goal is to actually train people in English, uh, to give mm-hmm. them that, that skill set. But 
but it's to do more than that as well. Uh, but oftentimes in the, the common see approach, which again, it, it might be the, a great place to start for some of our listeners, but oftentimes that's kind of home field advantage. And, and uh, so with this go and tell, just help demystify that a little bit. So I show up to someone's apartment. I've got 20 people that show up. Maybe they're ranging uh, in ages from six to, you know, 66. Uh, we've got a few people that know some English and some people that know no English. And so I show up. How do I begin to kind of teach at that? Because I can't really divide them up at that point. We're in a, maybe in a small apartment or in a shared space. So how do you begin to actually do a good job of ministering, but also teaching when there's so many different levels and of, of proficiency and so many different backgrounds? Yeah, so that's a great question. It's one that I get a whole lot when I talk about this with people too. And it, it betrays our Western understanding of education a bit in the question, <laughs> because we uh, we look at a situation like that and go, well, well wait, a, wait a minute. So what, what we don't have are classes. We don't have either age-banded or proficiency-banded classes here. So I'm not teaching the same curriculum. How could I teach, or, or if I am teaching the same curriculum, how can the person that barely knows sit yep. the same class with the person that already almost knows? Uh, and when we do a come and see approach, that tends to be often how a church breaks things down, right? It's by proficiency level. Right. We have a beginner's class and an advanced class. Yep. The thing that I think we we need to realize, though, is that that's, that's a fairly Western way of thinking through education. Uh, instead, this isn't as hard as we might think that it is, uh, if we adopt what I would refer to simply as like an each one teach one philosophy. Uh, you see, in non-individualistic cultures, that's kind of how they think just naturally, like intuitively. Uh, you've got a room that thinks the whole class thinks that everyone in there is helping the class learn. If okay. that makes sense. Yep. So the goal of this moment is not me competing against you to make sure I'm at the top of the class, but instead, how do we make sure everybody in here understands what's going on? Yeah. And if we approach it from that perspective, your job shifts from I'm the lecturer at the front of the room trying to impart my understanding of English to you to I'm the one facilitating how you're all helping each other learn this. And so I may be leaning on somebody that speaks English fairly well to help this person over here understand the concept. Mm. And so we're group learning in a setting like that. And mm. it's actually going to be a more comfortable way for a whole lot of other cultures to learn than the one we normally use. Mm. That's great. Keelan, thanks a ton for this. This is what a fascinating concept that churches can take advantage of this gift that we in the United States have received, that is the gift of speaking English, that we got it for free for the most part, and uh, now we can give it away for free, and then on the, on the back of that or on the heels of that or in the same process, communicate the free gift of grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thanks a ton for being with us and for just explaining, giving a new vision for taking ESL to a new missiological level with this go and tell uh, mentality. Mm -hmm. We would encourage all of our listeners, if you're interested in knowing more about this, you can contact Keelan or you can contact the Center for Great Commission Studies. We'll be glad mm -hmm. to uh, to point you in the direction and give you some information about starting an ESL ministry in your church, whether it's the come and see model or the go and tell model. Uh, we want you to find a way to take advantage of all that God uh, has done in us and can do and wants to do through us. So Keelan, thanks a ton uh, for this very informative, very encouraging 
uh, opportunity. Can you pray for these churches who are doing ESL? Uh, and then pray for those uh, pastors or church members who are listening who may feel inspired to, uh, to open up and do some new ministries in their church. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Father God, you are great. And Lord, you are greatly to be praised. Uh, God, we thank you for the gracious gift of the gospel, Lord. We thank you that you have uh, given us the opportunity, the privilege, Lord, to share that news and message with others. And uh, God, we thank you that in your providence, uh, you have brought us this fresh access to so many people uh, that may have had no opportunity to hear it in their home countries. Mm. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will help us to think well about the moment that you have placed in front of us. God, I pray that you will show us those opportunities. Lord, I pray for the churches that are, that are hearing something like this, the pastors and the leaders that uh, are uh, already involved in this work and thinking maybe there's a way that they can ratchet up what they're doing to, to make it uh, more of an opportunity for disciple making as well, Lord. And I pray that you give them the, the opportunities to do so. Uh, but Lord, I also pray for those that would be considering this after hearing it. Think, how can we be involved in that, Lord? Uh, give them eyes to see uh, who they would... Uh, train up in their church uh, in, in this manner and, and who they would engage in uh, this kind of uh, ministry work. Lord, I pray that you'd grant them access that way, grant them a vision for it and, and uh, those that they would, they would share with, Lord. And we just thank you again uh, that we get to do what we do for you. Uh, and Lord, we praise you. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Keelan, thanks so much. We always enjoy our time with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. <laughs>